1: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. It's Corey and Paul and Andrew back for another episode. Tonight we are going to... What are we doing? We're going to talk uh, a roundtable, see what we've been up to. Got a little bit of news to talk about, and then we will get to our uh, guest, Mike Tonkovich with the State of Ohio and uh, Division of Wildlife. But first, let's go with Corey first. Corey, what, what have you done in the past week or so, outdoors related? Um, went
2: hunting last, what was it? Last Saturday, I did an all day sit. So November the 13th, went for 12 and a half hours all day sit. Averaged uh, one deer, per 6.25 hours. (laughs) So had one little guy roll in at nine and one guy roll in or a doe roll through at uh around two, two thirty. And that was you know what the
1: worst part of that is it's and then you have to explain to your wife that you sat out there for 12 hours and saw one deer every six hours. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's rough Um, man. I mean they were I mean they both came by at 20 yards. It was just the The routes they decided to take were so brushy and so so thick that there was just no possible shooting opportunity. Um, but it was it, it was exciting to see. It is definitely uh, the way the little the little buck looked. He was just kind of cruising. He wasn't he wasn't hot on anybody's tail. He wasn't. I grunted at him. I gave him a couple soft grunts because he was so he looked so young. Gave him a couple soft grunts and he just kind of went along his way. And then I snort wheezed at him and he threw his head up and looked around and then kind of uh he was he was a little weary after that.
1: Kind of like being a freshman boy at like homecoming, and you're like, I, I know I'm supposed to be doing something here, but I'm not sure exactly.
2: What. And then yeah. you know, somebody rolls in, the senior rolls up and says, What are you doing down on the dance floor? And he got out of there.
1: Beat it punk.
2: Exactly. So. um so yeah, that was that was the highlight of my weekend.
1: Paul, I think I know what you're gonna say because I think I was involved with part of it, but I'll let you go ahead and give that.
3: Oh running. yeah, we went out. We went out a couple of days ago. It was the scientific peak of the rut day, November fourteenth. I think that's the reason we didn't so, see anything.
1: They were in lockdown.
3: I, nothing. I mean, I, I, saw, no, I saw every single one.
1: Yeah, lockdown. Every single one.
3: I saw a couple roll by. I saw some turkeys um it was snowing as we were driving down which is fine and then it just rained and rained
1: and we tried it, we tried out an Olap
3: property yeah it was cool man it was it was real it was real cool so nice get up in the
2: uh in the in the um why am i forgetting the word here the um, saddle hammock, the, s- the, hammock yeah. the saddle
3: but hammock so I- we're so we're driving down you want to tell the story go ahead oh go ahead Oh no! Yeah, we're 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 driving out, and I'm like in the middle of a sentence, and he my, like Andrew just explodes like
0: rah,
3: like screams, and I look at him like <laughs> I, I thought he was having a stroke. I'm like, we're five shit.
1: minutes away from the five minutes from the his property.
3: property. He's like, I left my climbing sticks in the house. Forgot my like, uh, sticks. Oh, oh. oh my god! And like I looked right at the sticks while we were there. I should have said something, but I didn't. You know, he I didn't. I didn't even didn't even think about it and it was just it was train wreck city from that moment on so and he and he like he needed gas Corey. so we're driving down and he's like he's like well the the gps says that it's 68 miles and my truck says that i got 74 miles still empty i think we're gonna be okay and i'm like are you sure you don't oh, want to stop I, every okay. time we pass a pass a gas station I'm like sure you want to up no bro i don't want to pick up the scent I'm like, we're gonna pick up set walking 30 miles from like the middle of nowhere. And I I mean like we're halfway down and it just stops giving how many miles to go. And I'm like, oh shit, like we're we're toast, we're toast. It was but an adventure, it. Paul. It was, it was. We 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 made it, so it was it was cool, man. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. So I had I had a fun weekend. I went to the high state game, high state Purdue game before that, and
1: so yeah, it was cool. Good stuff. Yes, I, yeah. I did go with Paul and we did the OLAP property and it was a very seamless um, process as far as signing up. So I think uh, if you haven't tried that, maybe something to consider. Uh,
2: Remember or, your sticks.
1: There was like there was a giant steer
3: around this property that, that we were on and I had like it was like, you know, it's like it's kind of hilly and it was like echoing through the hills like the one the I have in. Yeah, yes. oh, I had like this mental picture of this steer being like the size of like an elephant a dinosaur or something. Yeah. Like just like this, and we never saw him. Like all we could just hear him, you know, making I don't know, kept mooing. I don't know what the hell sound is a steer making. Not a, oh,
2: I'm
3: not a rancher. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Was it just it that was, constant? It was like loud. that constant
2: one. Yeah, like when we were up for turkey season and that steer was just non stop all day and all night yeah i hunted i i, I
3: hunted some spots down in, in tennessee and one of the properties had like a uh like a like a jackass or a burrow or whatever and that thing would like sound off from like five in the morning until like 10 at night man and it was that's what it kind of reminded me of so but, it was good stuff
1: yeah that old lot property was good it was yeah nice. it was cool uh it was cool to be able to go with paul uh, anything that went wrong was either weather related or uh, moron hunter uh, related. So uh, mm-hmm. I just pretended to be the best Native American I could and hunt from the ground, but that didn't work out very well. However, uh, I have been getting some nice pictures to start showing up on my cameras. And what was it, late last week, I took uh, another doe. Uh, so yes, there. I'm, I'm the person that shoots does during the rut. Um, and Ringo was on your ass the moment yes, he you was, sent that picture. But I don't I care mean, because I have meat in the freezer. So
2: I think I, my exact wording was, "Why are you shooting a doe on November twelfth
1: at seven thirty a.m.?" <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: I think that's the I tried question.
3: I spent probably like 10 minutes looking for a meme about like talking shit about your buddy shooting does during a ride. I like, I don't know how to make memes. Like, I guess, I don't know. You need like Photoshop or something. Couldn't find anything. I tried.
1: So. Yes. Anywho, we still have time barely, but news around the state. Let's see here. Uh, we are entering into this upcoming weekend, the youth gun season. So that will be November twentieth and twenty first. Just a reminder: if you do go out for bow season, uh, you are required to wear your hunter orange. Um, Is that vest and a hat? Yes.
2: I, I think it's, it's just
3: it's it's in your book, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's just vest. And and friendly reminder because I've seen people get. Sites you know, cited for this, you cannot wear a backpack over your hunter orange vest. It is a vest. So, and if
2: you do wear a backpack, wear an orange patch on it.
3: Yeah, so nope.
2: they may, there, there are lots and lots of orange patches out there that velcro right to your backpack.
1: Regulation book, easy page number five. If you need any more update on your orange, but um good luck to the youths out there and hopefully you guys can i'm taking my my nephew levi for his first deer hunt ever
3: on saturday so i took him out for his first uh first turkey hunt this year and he was using my I have a, a, a an a5 there's a, a button on the bottom of the gun that cycles the next cycles the shells through and when you hit that like it'll 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 make a ton of noise and we had a tom on a string coming in like 30 yards not even that I mean it was probably less than 20 at this point and there were some hens with him and he I mean they were just like they were coming through this thick little brushy area and they were just gonna pop out right in front of us and they're getting close and he moves just the tiniest little bit and hit that button and that gun was like ka-blang! like it just <laughs> it just cycled that shell and they were gone and it was just like pure Disappointment for him. And I felt I felt really bad. So I'm hoping that uh, we we never got it closer the rest of the season, but uh hope deer
1: season works out for him. So cool. Well, uh let's see what else do we have here. Um the most successful day for deer hunting so far has been uh Saturday, November 6th, with 4,795 deer check. Uh it's really not The rest of the days are not uh, anything surprising. 2nd, November 7th, November 5th, November 13th, 4th, September 25th, November 3rd, November 2nd, November 1st, November 8th. So far, I think we're at about 66,626 deer uh, as of November. The opening day and the rut. As of November 14th. Yeah. So doing pretty good. Um, Let me see what's three. We're a little bit ahead of the three-year average, um by about a thousand deer. So uh we're, we're you guys are killing deer, harvesting the deers. That's uh, that's good. That's good. Paul
3: Counties, what... counties are doing good. We got and you boys are still leading the, leading the charge. As always, Coshocton County number one for deer.
1: So what else do we have? Deer management permits, those are uh, the time to use those is coming up. November 28th is when the last day you can use those, and they're valid on private land. Um, We missed something last week, Paul. What was that about the CWD areas? All right. So I'm going to uh, read the book.
3: Yeah, the hotline went live.
1: Yeah, read it. Okay, so mandatory sampling for deer harvested within the disease surveillance area, also known as the DSA. This is page 13 of the regulation book. Mandatory sampling is required for all deer harvested November 6th, 7th, 13th, and 14th, as well as the entire seven-day gun season of November 29th to December 5th. So this is that area up there in Wyandotte County, part of Marion, part of Hardin, that if you harvest a day in those Or deer in those days you need to um have that deer checked sampled so there's more information page 13 the regulation book um just trying to to be proactive with some of the cwd um, areas and as paul said they did open up the hotline if you have questions about it um I believe that number is 614-728-6220 if you've got more questions about cwd within the state of ohio so segue into today's topic which is this was so such a fun interview to do yeah uh, and it really needed to be about six hours longer um we've got mike Tonkovich. uh with Ohio
3: Konkovich. I messed his name up like immediately.
1: Yeah, we clarified that right before we started too. But uh, it's yeah, still, it's oh, okay, not Paul. even
3: 20, not even 20 seconds before we started the interview. So. so
1: but I think you guys are really gonna like this one. Uh Corey was off at a chess conference um that day. So he wasn't able to join us. But the rest of the topic is that we try to cover as much as we can. We had an hour with him. We will try to get him back on and, and get more in depth on certain topics. But now, this
3: is like, yeah, sorry, go ahead, months. I
1: mean, I say this this was kind of like a, a,
3: a primer to other discussions that we want to have with, with with Mike Tonkovich. And he had a ton of great information. There's a lot to be uh, concerned about with the deer herd in the state of Ohio and i think i think for hunters we kind of take that for granted we gloss over that we hear you know we're so desensitized to to doom and gloom especially the last 18 months anything that is negative we're just we just tune it out i really think that we need to have as hunters we need to have a a firm understanding of the health of the deer herd in the state of ohio and really cwd uh, we touch on it a little bit in this in this top or in this program we're going to dive real deep into this at some point this is a very, very serious issue uh facing and and Mike even said in the interview, this is worse than any of us think. Any of us because the reality is like we know what it means, CWD chronic wasting disease. And for most people, that's it. That's your, your understanding is what those three letters mean. So I don't know. This this was this was a really good discussion. Um, I want it to create. Questions and I wanted to create, you know, conversations with with us, with the with the state people that you know the, the the make the policy for the state of Ohio, and for the people that listen to this program, if you have questions, please, you know, send them to us: Twitter at Ohio Hunt, Instagram the dot Reach out to us, ask the questions. Whether you think it's dumb or not, ask it, and we will ask the the people that that work at the state. Um, because we, you know, we really need to,
1: we need to talk about it. So get the word out. Yeah. And yeah, like get, I said, get the word out, but we touch on habitat. We touch on the deer herd health. We talk, touch on the CWD. It's, it's pretty good. It's, it's very 10,000 foot view, but yeah. Um, and like
3: I said, it's meant to drill down. We're going to start drilling down on these other topics later, you know,
1: down, down the road. So anywho, that's what it is. Hope you everybody enjoys it. And we will talk to you uh, next week. Say it, Ringle.
3: Oh, Every time. See ya. There it is. We're joined with Mike Tanakovich, the director of the what is your title, Mike,
0: at the State of Ohio? Yeah, it's it's Tonkovich, um, Tonkovich. and it's <laughs> I just asked just that question. Gonna, I'm going to tell everybody we just went over that. That's oh great, God,
3: I, okay. I I got I got all flustered begin the beginning. It. It's
0: it's sort of like directions, you know, when you get them wrong the first time, you never get them right. So I, that's sweet, fine. That's I'm gonna right. I usually go by Tonk, so I, I'm so uh, that's that's uh, that's it's a, a s- there's a, that's long a story sweet there. nickname. It's, yeah,
3: why would anyone call me Mike?
0: yeah Yeah, you know it's it's kind of it's kind of funny though when you hear it in a professional setting i i gotta remind myself that you know i should probably use my name um whenever i'm being introduced at a conference or something but Uh, anyway um so it's dear program administrator paul uh, with the division of wildlife i've been around for for 26 years now so um have a few ideas about how things are done and how they how i'd like to see them done but anyway that's me mike tonkovich
3: so Mike, are you are, are you a wildlife biologist by training, or or what uh, what brought you into this field?
0: Yeah, so so um, I was just telling uh, someone earlier today, I came here with no experience on deer, except except I love to hunt deer, um, and uh, I did my master's and PhD both at Virginia Tech. Um, loved loved that uh, best nine years of my life, probably longer than it should have been, but but both a master's and PhD. Uh, modeling uh, large uh, scale habitat relationships of uh, dicky birds and and then um, and then coil for my PhD. So basically a habitat modeler uh, by training um, and came back to Ohio in 1995 and they told me, we're gonna put you on deer. And, uh, and I think the uh, the advice that I got um, uh, from the folks in Massachusetts, just a great little story. It, it takes two minutes, but um, I drove, I was at Virginia Tech. Um, and drove to Massachusetts for an interview. And I, I told them uh, on the phone, um, you know, this was pre hell, this was pre email. Um, so th- this would would have been the uh, early 1990s. I said, you know, listen, I've got a strong quantitative background. And I said, but but really, I don't know a whole lot about deer. Um, other than I love to hunt them. So we're not going to have an interview about deer, right? And they're like, Oh, no, no, we figure if you can get a PhD, we can teach you deer. The very First question. What is the overall best indicator of deer herd health? And I just started laughing. I said, what happened to the promise that there would be no questions about, you know, about deer. And this is a true story. God's honest, true story. I talked to the gal. She didn't get the job that I interviewed for, but she later took that job and she swears that that was the first question they asked her on the interview. So that is, that is a great question. And it turns out it's yearling antler beam diameter, but, um, um, I was going to ask so, a
3: question. So, so antler diameter is the, that's it, the the overall indicator.
0: Yeah. Yearling antler beam diameter, not Year- a mature okay. buck. It's got to be on yearlings because it's, um, you know, th- as you, as you know, uh, growing uh, young men, teenagers—you know—they're they're putting all that uh, nutrition that they that they can muster into you know skeletal um, and and musculature growth, and uh, the deer is doing the same thing. So, if it's short on uh, if it's short on nutrients, it's gonna it's gonna show up in its antlers because it's gonna try to build body mass first, and so that's that's why you. You can use now over the long term. You got to look at it over the long term because from year to year you're going to see significant fluctuations. If you're in a if you're in a state like Ohio, for instance, uh, southeast part of Athens, or southeast part of the state where mast is an important part of the diet. Um, if you've got a poor mast year, it's going to show up in, in in antler beam diameters. Um, and similarly, if you've got a great wet spring and a, a great summer and 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 and, a, and uh, Great growing season, you know, you're going to see those kinds of fluctuations. But over the long term, uh, you can look at yearling antler beam diameter, uh, just you know, measured an inch or so above the burr, and uh, track that with reproductive performance. And man, they they are just they're neck and neck. Uh, you know, when you see uh, fawn uh, breeding rates go down, you're going to see a decline in yearling antler beam diameters, and, and vice versa. So it's it is a great index, but but uh, of course. With the background that I had, I had no idea that was uh, the great the great index that it is. Are you gonna? How do you, how do you collect that data?
3: The yearly well, dealer dammer? Yeah,
0: so that, so that's something you know. Up until 2011, uh, mandatory mandatory in person registration. Which of course we still have mandatory registration here in Ohio, um, but but until 2000 up through 2010, it was mandatory in person registration. So we had what we called aging stations, biological check stations. Some, some folks referred to them as hunters would bring their deer there. We would just basically set up at some of the most high volume check stations and, and um, we'd collect each year. We'd collect, we'd age all the deer. There were, there were years we were aging, you know, across the state, anywhere between seven and 8,000 deer. Now we're down around four to 5,000 deer and we're doing the same type of thing, but we're doing it at processors now. Of course, there's no in person registration anymore so we we can't do that but so we go to processors and we collect similar data but but a set of calipers is all you need and um uh you measure that on both sides take the average um and then uh, just track that over time and you can see if you look at uh you look at the trends here in ohio particularly southeast ohio um it has steadily declined it was declining before i started and continues to decline um, now, compare that to Western Ohio, and it's, it's, you know, it's largely, uh, for the most part, flat as a tabletop um, because you know, that, that landscape isn't changing much. What we're seeing here in, in, in the eastern part of the state is largely related to you know, two things, growth in the deer population and, and also just loss of early successional habitat. Our forests are maturing, and of course, they provide much less browse uh, and, and quality foods for deer than, than what early successional habitats do.
3: So I I had someone tell me years ago, and I thought it was really good information that you can collect all the data in the world, but it's what you do with that data and the decisions that you make with that. So, what when you guys collect all that data, what decisions do you make off of that? Like when you, I mean, you just said we're seeing a decline. So, what? How do you guys react to that?
0: Yeah, great question. You know, we uh, speaking um, while we're on the subject of of this deer herd condition data, we actually put together. Uh, really, uh, one of the neatest publications uh, that I can say I had a part in. Um, uh, it was a closer look. I think we titled it "A Closer Look at Deer Herd Condition Quality uh, versus Quantity." And uh, to your point, Paul, uh, we put that. We 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 tried to um, uh, make good use of that data by turning it into a publication. In fact, so that hunters, you know, hunters could see this information because they are the only ones really that could, could you know, um, to, to a degree could help make a difference and, and turn the tide, if you will, and, and, and slow that decline by, by encouraging them to, you know, not demand that we have super large deer populations, because obviously the more deer we have on the landscape, the more mouths to feed. Um, we're not going to reverse that trend. We, we wanted to reduce deer populations. We don't want to set records every single year, harvest records every year, um, because there are costs associated with that. So in that particular instance, we took that data, uh, and we 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 th- I think we put it to very good use. Now, it, it, unfortunately, um, that was uh, that was after we had set uh, four or five records in a row, um, and, and so I, I just don't know that it set that well with hunters. And also, um, there's this there's this giant gap um, fall between you know that data you know a, a so beam diameters, just for instance, beam diameters have, have decreased from, and we measure them in millimeters. Uh, so they've gone from, let's say, 25 down to 17, okay? The, that's where we're sitting today, the average yearling antler beam diameter for southeast Ohio. And some of this I'm just making up, just a, just spitballing here just a bit. But, you know, folks can't get their head wrapped around that because, and 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 although we tell them that we're seeing declines in percent fawns breeding, you know, it's gone from when I started, it was 50%. Next, the next time we collect that information, it was down to about a third. Um, and, and here, most recently, 2010, 11, and 12, um, we were down into single digits uh, in terms of percent fawns breeding. And the reason why they're not breeding is because they're not reaching that minimum body, minimum threshold body weight uh, their first fall. So, so they're simply not uh, becoming sexually mature and un- are unable to breed. Um, but at any rate, um, we had set, you know, was, uh, we, we did that. I think that publication in 2014, Um, But that was after several years of record harvest. And, And so what I was getting at is you've got on one hand, you've got these, these data that we're, we're sharing with, with our, with our hunters and saying, listen, look at the trends. And they're, they're trying as hard as they may to get their head wrapped around this idea that, okay, so we've gone from 24 to 18 millimeters. But every year I go to the Buckeye Big Buck Club and I still see these amazing deer. I go to the Deer and Turkey Expo and I still see these amazing deer. And so we were in a great position. We, we 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 knew that we knew that that was going to be the response. So what we were able to do um, to put things in their terms, in terms that they could understand things, that, terms that they could appreciate. We actually said, yeah, that's right. We're still killing quality animals. But what you need to think about when we have this conversation is. The proportion of the harvest, the antlered buck harvest, that goes into the Buckeye Big Buck Club every year, it's gone from about one percent back in the early 1990s uh, down to less than a half a percent. So, in other words, um, that was you know they they see absolute they see things in absolute terms. I, I go to the Buckeye Big Buck Club, I still see great deer. What they don't know is that those deer that you're seeing now, number number one, are much older than they were back in the 1980s, and number two. They represent a much smaller proportion of the total antlered buck harvest each year. So that's, I guess, a great example of how we try to put the data that we collect to good use to make a difference. Um, and, you know, I'm sure it gets some traction in some places, but, um, you know, it's it's a difficult sell to try to encourage hunters, you know, to support the notion that fewer deer is, is better um, when they're used to seeing, you know, they, they like to see a lot of deer. I think, you know, who doesn't? Um, And it's, it's, it's quite the sacrifice, you know, to, to go from seeing um, 20 deer at a sit to, you know, four or five deer at a sit. Okay. Mike,
1: I'm one of those people that has to hear things seven times before it actually sinks in. I'm not going to ask you to repeat this all seven times, but I got to take a (laughs) step. I got to take a step back here. Okay. So we are seeing smaller antler size on the yearling bucks. Yes. And we are attributing that to a larger population and less food. So they're not getting the nutrients they need. Right. OK. I I just and this is just an observation. Um, why are we not taking as many deer in Southeast Ohio? And when I say that, like the, the, the map on the regulations book, you know, most of Southeast Ohio is blue. So it's a two deer county versus a three. Um, not even having the ability to take more deer down there.
0: Yeah, great, great, great question. So you're, you're obviously paying attention. Um, that is a that's a great question. So there's there's a lot there's a lot to this. There's a whole lot to unpack. So I don't want to. I'll try to be brief. I, I don't know how much time we have, but 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 that's that's a that's something worth spending time on. So you know, in in the larger picture, so let's talk about how we manage deer in the state of Ohio. It's not just seat of the pants. Um, i feel like a two-year bag or i feel like a 5 deer bag it's 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 all based on this premise um, that we try to um we we try to manage um uh, populations uh to to minimize conflicts and maximize recreational opportunity that's that's really you know if there was a sign above the door above my office door that that's what it would be is to maximize recreational opportunity including hunting viewing photographing and minimize conflicts with agriculture, motor travel and other areas of human endeavor. Right. So what that translates to and it, it started back in the late 70s um, and early 80s, is that it it, it putting that into practice. Um, we, we followed the lead of, of folks out of Cornell and we periodically conduct um, uh, farmer surveys—we sometimes call them producers, uh, production landowners—and and and then we also survey. Obviously, we survey our hunters. Now, historically, all that we have surveyed are production landowners or our farmers because you know we we felt, and I think it's reasonable, that most hunters that you ask, there aren't enough deer, and they'd like to see more. So we know going knowing that you know we went into this thinking, okay, we're just going to figure out how are the folks that are likely to be negatively impacted about deer how are they feeling about deer population so it it, it really was involved survey but it came down to one simple question uh, are there too few too many or just about the right number of deer on the landscape where you farm and then of course we'd also here recently beginning in 2015 we asked that same question to our hunters are there too few too many or just about the right number of deer where you hunt so in a perfect world we'd find that balance you know in other words in 2000 just to give you a point point a case in point 2015 statewide these are statewide numbers now we don't manage deer at the statewide level we manage deer at the county level but i'm just going to give you this because it's a lot easier to understand and it applies to each individual management unit but statewide, when we finished that survey, and it was one of the most extensive surveys that we've ever done in my career, I think we reached more than 10% of the state's farmers. We talked to most, uh, almost 6,000 hunters, I think, with that survey. So we had a good representation of what was going on. At the statewide level, 29% of the, of the producers that we talked to felt that there were too many deer. Okay, so keep that number handy. 29% felt that there were too many deer. Okay, those were farmers. Obviously, we wanted we'd like to take that to zero. You know, we would like to keep that down, but 29% was pretty low. I mean, we, you know, that's that's not a bad deal, right? At the same time, half of our far, half of our hunters said there there were too few. Okay, so about 50% of our farmers, or 50% of our hunters, excuse me, I'll try not to mix this up because it then I'll really make a mess of things. But 50% of the hunters that we contacted said there were too few deer. Okay, so there's our two competing, two competing interests right there. 29% of the farmers said. There are too many. 50% of the hunters said there are too few. Now, put put yourself in our position. What does that, what direction does that give you in terms of growing deer populations or shrinking deer populations know, reducing deer populations? I think the answer is obvious there. We had room. The, way, the takeaway from, from that survey, or those two surveys, if you will, was that there's probably a little bit of room to grow deer populations, okay? Because 29% of what, what we'd like to do Think about it this way. I'll just give you the end result and then we can come back to it. We grow deer populations. We run the survey again. The percent of farmers that say there are too many deer is likely to go up to say, let's go 35 percent. OK, we, we, we grow deer populations. We survey the farmers again. And now they're a little unhappy, a little more unhappy because there, there are a few more deer. But at the same time, we run that same survey and voila. The percent of farm or percent of hunters that are saying there's too few deer has gone from 50% down to 35%. So while we still have unhappy people, we have a balance of unhappy people. Does that make sense? And and I know it sounds crazy, but but and I know it sounds strange that I would aspire to have equal numbers of farmers and hunters mad at me at the same time, but that's really what this job is all about. It's it's about balancing those interests and even if it you know ideally it would be 10 or 12% not 35% but the point is at the end of the day our job is to balance the deer population such that those who want more and those who want few fewer deer you know are are equally their concerns are equally addressed um so all of that um the, at the end of the day um, your question is a good one, because what, what, what's driving those regulations that you saw basically are the results of that survey that I just told you about. That part of the state, there was great disparity between the, the farmers that said there were too many and the hunters that said there were too few. There was room to grow the deer population basically in southeast Ohio. Now you're saying, well, that just con- contradicts everything you, you just told us. Well, how do I put this? Um, the, the reality is, uh, um, there is there's two sides to this. There's the biological side of this equation and there's the social side of this equation. Um, I think I hinted that it was hard to get traction with our hunting community, um, that there were, um, you know, there were too many deer to support the quality that Ohio you know, has grown accustomed to um they apparently you know when they completed that survey that was less of a concern to them to them you follow what i'm saying in other words they're thinking they're sitting there with the survey at their desk or at, their, at the coffee table thinking how do i complete the survey i know that the biologists have told me that we really need to reduce um deer numbers in order to restore quality to where it was in the 70s and 80s but i really liked seeing all those deer You follow me? So at the end of the day, their their response was, you know what, I'm going to say there's too few deer rather than say just about right. You know, had they said just about right, you know, or or there's there's, you know, too many um, in some cases. Actually, there were a few hunters that said that then then that would have changed. uh, That would have changed our management uh, direction in southeast Ohio. But at the end of the day, what happened was there was a large gap between the number of hunters saying that there were you know, too few deer and the number of farmers that were saying there were too many. There was plenty of room to grow deer in southeast Ohio. So we set out to do that. And that's why you see those, those regulations there. That's, that's basically the marching orders that we got from our survey. So we got, we got a social issue going on, you know, the, with, with the, you know, the, on the social side of things, hunters like to see deer. Then there's the biological issue. You know, you Paul had asked me about using that data. Well, we have to, you know, we, we can't just lean on the, uh, the biological data and discard the social science because um, that, you know, that would cost us our job pretty quickly.
1: So one real quick follow up question to that. How often do you guys revise this? Because I know this map for for 2021, 2022, is pretty similar to last year, slight variation. But um, when would you expect that we have a a drastically different looking regulation map?
0: Yeah, it's actually exactly the same. Um, The colors and everything are the same. We didn't change a bag limit this year. we run the we run the uh, the production landowner the goal setting survey, if you will, um, every three to five years. Um, now, if we see some dramatic upticks, uh, because th- that map is basically driven um, by um, harvest metrics. You know, we're looking at what the population appears to be doing. Are we moving in the direction? Are we seeing significant strides in closing that gap? Are we seeing basically harvest upticks? And are we seeing uh, for instance, from our bow hunter survey, which is one of our best indices, uh, overall indices of deer population size, are we seeing some significant upticks there? Um, if if so, then we're going to we're going to address that be- because the reality is we cannot afford to wait for the next survey if we're starting to see consistent upticks in in harvest because that's going to be too late. So we may wait. Um, you know, two or three more years before we make significant changes to the digest. But in reality, in all likelihood, if I were a betting man, I would say that it, it would be sooner than that because the, that two deer bag limit um, cannot stay that way. History tells us that it's going to mean significant growth in the, in the deer population. So we're, we're likely to change that uh, perhaps as early as the 2022 season. So we will
3: will the state do do you do like on-site visits go to state property private lands to observe the deer herd numbers down there or are you no. just going off of like kill numbers harvest numbers What? How do, you, how do you judge that to make that change on the biological side
0: yeah it's it's actually it's actually primarily two things it's it's the harvest um uh, data that, that I spoke about, you know, buck harvest is our, is our best index to overall population size, but but also bow hunter observations. Um, we're looking at that. We're also going to look at uh, carcasses removed from, from roadways in some parts of the state. That information can be very telling. What we're looking for is, you know, to find two or three, two of three or, or two of four or three of five indices that are telling us the same thing. And then we make a decision. But but as far as far uh, as far as on-site, um visits to properties no we're, we're typically if we're putting the helicopter in the air uh, to count deer it's it's going to be um for instance on killdeer plains or or east central ohio where we have you know we have um we had cwd in, in several captive facilities and we're trying to assess uh, local wild deer population numbers that's generally um or the other thing that we've done i don't know if you guys are familiar with the um um, as part of the public land regulations uh, package that we, uh, well, actually, we just terminated most of them. We had them in place 18, 19, and 20. Part, as part of that evaluation, we actually did uh, took a handful of our our state wildlife areas and are doing camera surveys on there to measure um, actual population responses you know, to those regulations because harvest is one thing and deer hunter surveys is another. But we really wanted to see, are we seeing more deer on the ground? So. Aside from those, you know, uh, occasional um, efforts, no, there's not there's not routine uh, across the board um, evaluation of deer population numbers. It's it's based on harvest data and and other metrics that we collect from from deer hunters. And, and as I said, ODOT uh, carcass data would be another important one.
3: So we've got we've got the growth in deer herd is one factor. The other factor that you, that you talked about lots of habitat. So let's let's dive into that what what is the is it just the urban sprawl is it I mean if you drive down interstate 70 in central Ohio it just seems like every you know you look right or left and it's it's a new you know logistics center going up new warehouse and it used to be woods and and obviously we know that that's you know deer habitat is that what's driving the loss of habitat the expansion is is it I mean what what, what's kind of the the factors behind that
0: no, you know, really, that that's a that's a great question, and it and and well, that I, that's actually easy. You know, I mean, that's that's obvious. You know, you 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 replace woods with concrete, and you 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 know, you're gonna um, you're actually gonna replace or disperse a lot of the deer. Um, I, I'd say replace a lot. You know, you're gonna lose a lot of deer, but that's that's not the problem so much as just aging forests. Um, so we've gone from you know the late '50s, early '60s, where there was still a little bit of farming. You know, folks were trying to scrape out a living uh, on the hillsides here in southeast Ohio. They walked away from that. That turned into an old field. Those old fields are now mature forests. Uh, that's that's what we're talking about. Um, and so, without I was talking to I was talking to someone today about the uh, the ice damage that Shawnee State Forest experienced. Gosh. I don't know. It's seven or eight years ago. It seems like, um, which created, you know, it was a great opportunity uh, to create, you know, some understory growth, uh, which benefited, you know, lots of species, grouse and deer. Um, but but other than that, you know, with no with no timber cutting and no timber harvesting going on, you um, know, and this is private as well as public land. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of timber harvesting going on that creates that early successional habitat, sets back succession. You know, you you can't. You know, other than mast, you know, uh, dropping, you know, each fall, you know, there's just not a lot in the understory for deer uh, and other wildlife uh, that, that depend on that early successional habitat. So that's what we're talking about is, is just simply, it may look the same, you know, And we get guys that tell us that they've been hunting the same place for 30 years. And then we remind them, have you heard of that thing called succession? You know, things don't stay the same, a tree gets bigger with age. and And so what used to be that early successional old field habitat that you were you know, that you were, you know, hunting uh, and fighting briars and, and, and uh, multiflora rose in is now uh, looks much more like a park. Um, and, and that's just not ideal deer habitat. So that's really what we're talking about. So, Mike,
1: on, on the flip side of that, where we see our red counties and, you know, we've got the big cities and the urban areas. Um, how how do you guys even attempt to manage that? because i mean and i'm not gonna lie i've seen some monsters inside the beltway uh in franklin county and uh, uh there's tons of deer there but it's also very difficult to find a place that you know from a hunter's perspective can can actually hunt how, how do you guys handle those uh, well
0: you know, yeah um so years ago you guys may remember um we had what we called urban deer zones, um, and, and that was uh, was just a, a just an attempt to uh, to focus pressure. Um, it was just a geographic area defined on a map, which said, you know, we're going to allow you to kill additional deer at a reduced price inside of these urban zones. And there were there were four or five of them scattered across the state, and they obviously they all were associated with these large metropolitan areas. Columbus had one, you know, Cincinnati. Had another Toledo, of course, in Northeast Ohio, and then there was one in Youngstown. But but the point is, is that um, we quickly realized um, I, I was actually I guess the engineer, if you will, behind getting rid of those because they they really, um, um, as much as anything, they they were uh, they kind of got in the way of us uh, uh, you know doing our job, and they were misleading. You know, it it didn't create any additional opportunity for folks. All it did was basically said, hey. Um, if you can get permission to hunt here, if you can get past all the ordinances that are prohibiting you from hunting here, then then you know we'd encourage you to try to take some additional deer from here. But you just made a great point. I mean, if folks were hunting in those urban zones, they weren't focusing on. It. They knew they were there for a reason. They were there for those deer that were living a long time um, and had antlers on top of their head. So the the um, the good news is. Uh, so so the reality is there aren't a lot of inroads to managing those deer populations. So having a four deer bag probably doesn't do us any good, any more good than, than having a one deer bag quite, quite truthfully. But that said um, there are a lot of municipalities, uh, most of which are in Northeast Ohio now. Um, and, and I'm talking to folks in, in, um, uh, in other parts of the state as our wildlife management staff, um, we're creating uh, opportunities With these municipalities, many of them are relaxing ordinances, or dropping ordinances, or changing ordinances that allow hunting. Um, And it's still obviously, you know, it doesn't create deer habitat and create opportunities uh, uh, for access to private property. But it's it's dropping some of the barriers, some of the obstacles that prevent harvest occurring in these in these uh, in these areas. Um, And so we're we're treating them as as essentially controlled hunts, which gives them, you know, for instance, you take. I, I can't think of, uh, let's see, There's there's got to be a half a dozen or more, maybe even closer to a dozen places in Northeast Ohio that, that we issue permits to that essentially make them control hunts, if you will, that allow for an increased deer bag limit and, of course, also allow, kind of gets back to this idea um, of this urban permit, but allows them to use the $15 management permit. But the big difference here, guys, is that it's not just, it's not just lip service because these folks uh, have have now created an opportunity uh, for hunters they've eliminated the obstacles that were there before you know there was there was there were permits there, you know there were uh, ordinances I should say that prohibited people from hunting in these areas that are now gone but it still doesn't put you on a piece of private property if you have you know if you have the uh, the good fortune of being able to get access to these places and find a place to hunt um, then then you're you're golden because the, the city is not going to tell you no and they're not going to put you know in handcuffs if they, uh, you know, if you're hunting in city limits because the ordinances have been removed. Um, but, you know, I, I I, guess, I'm not sure what the biggest challenge is, you know, moving forward in my career, I'm, 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 I'm near the end of it and, and thankful because urban deer problems are going to continue to grow. Um, and, and the solution unfortunately is, is is going to be, you know, much like we're going to see, um, in northeast Ohio again, many of the metro parks. Um, there's there's South Euclid, I believe, this year. Uh, Solon, of course, made the news. Um, you know, calling deer. I mean, there's there's just Worthington. We're talking to the city of Worthington. I think they are they are experiencing um, serious issues um and, and moving ever closer um, you know, to having a, a legitimate conversation about uh, managing their their overabundant deer. Um, the reality is deer unfortunately for them and and I guess maybe uh, to some extent, you know us as humans is that they're incredibly adaptable., uh, they're content to live under a deck most of the day and venture out at night and and of course, that's creating, um, lots of problems for lots of cities. You know, Lyme disease, and 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 of course, physical encounters with deer during the rut, and does protecting their fawns, and 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 just just the nuisance of, of trying to grow a garden or trying to grow hostas uh, in, in your front yard. Um, so, the challenge is is that that they're really. 30 years ago, the start of my career, folks had figured out how to contracept deer. I mean, with the DART, um, there's for fertility control agents that exist, but the problem is, is you still physically have to c- handle each and every deer, um, which makes it impractical, except in, you know, uh, really, um, I wouldn't say island situations, but you need to have close populations in order to be able to, you know, effectively deal with the situation. But most of these areas are not. I mean, deer are moving in and out of these areas regularly. And so, um, long-winded answer is that the red uh, is is just a you know it's giving folks the opportunity if that opportunity exists and 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 many of the barriers that existed before are now uh, down and so um, I think hunters are taking advantage of that and I think if you talk to some of our staff in Northeast Ohio you'll their harvest numbers because they work closely with these cities and these parks there are deer being killed uh, to, to be quite honest and so that's a that's a good thing I'm I'm
1: glad you brought up Worthington because that was where I saw a mammoth. I think it might have been part moose earlier this year. <laughs> and uh, I went to their website and I found a brochure on how to cohabitate with deer. So uh, I, I realized that probably wasn't a <laughs> place to start trying to find a place, you know, narrate a hunt. <laughs> but
0: uh, not yet, at least. But I think they're moving that, they're moving in that direction. Give well, that's some good time. to hear. I got to actually, actually, I got to review um, and they, they, their their, management. You know, they're, their, I don't know if it was, I guess it would be more of a, uh, pre-proposal. And, and I think they're looking at developing a management plan to deal with this. So we, we, uh, I, I believe there's progress being made. What does the state do to, to,
3: if anything, to, to combat the loss of habitat in the state? What is that? Obviously you guys can control the property that the, the state owns the people Ohio own, but private property, you know, destruction, if you will, is there anything, any programs that the state has that, that helps alleviate or create better deer habitat?
0: Well, I think a couple of things worth mentioning there, you know, when, when, when highways are built or, or buildings, uh, government buildings are built, you know, there's, I mean, um, uh, there's, there's oftentimes opportunities for mitigation. So if, if you're, if you're going to destroy, um, wetland here you're going to have to create wetlands somewhere else and and I drive by I drive by a piece of that every single day on my way to work uh, along uh, US 50 here in Athens County there's a there's a neat wetland alongside a highway that I get to see waterfowl in all the time but I think the other uh, the other and, and maybe more productive because uh, you know controlling what landowners do beyond you know making sure that it's legal with EPA and and runoff and and codes and things like that you know it Removing habitat is, is difficult to do or controlling the removal of difficult of habitat is difficult to do on private land because of, you know, because of private property rights. But um, we, we do get involved in, in mitigation opportunities where those exist and um, create habitat when habitat is lost. But the other the other thing i think is you know uh, obviously you mentioned buying habitat i mean that's that's probably the best way to to prevent loss is is to offset stuff that we own increase the amount that we own um and um and we're obviously we're actively doing that with uh with large purchases here recently of course in in, in southeast ohio appalachian hills um a great great purchase there um you know that property will be Uh, wildlife habitat, you know, into perpetuity. So, you know, that that's probably our best. Our best tool um, is to uh, is to purchase what we can. Uh, But it's not cheap, as you might imagine. Yeah.
3: Jesse Owens. That was another one that was fairly recent. Yes. So that was. um, Public public landlets. I just want to talk, just kind of touch on that a little more. I drive through like Zaleski state forest and you see, you know, signs for, you know, the wildlife Turkey, um, you know, habitat management zone and there's an experimental forest that's, that's down in, in Southeast Ohio. So is that is, and, and you look at a lot of the, a lot of the signs in that forest, and you'll see that it, that that's that experimental forest, that, you know, the, the timbering has been going on for decades. Um, just talk a little bit about what the state is doing specifically on public land to you know either generate habitat or improve habitat for deer, wild turkey, quail, you know, you can talk about quail. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Grouse.
0: Um Yeah, that's uh, you know, that's <laughs> that's a topic that I'm going to Yeah, am I allowed to have a pass or or call a friend, you know, like uh, what yes. was that game over there where you got uh, yeah, a friend? Yeah, right. Phone a friend, right? Uh, because that—that's an area where I've, I'm outside of my comfort zone. Now I can speak to you know on on wildlife areas. Um, you know, each wildlife area that, that we own in the state, um, it, it's it's not only part has a plan for it's uh, its own acres, but but on larger scales, it's part of a. Uh, Um, It's part of a master plan in terms of putting a certain amount of various age forest uh, stands on the ground, certain amount of upland habitat, certain amount of open land, certain amount of farmed land, Um, so that the person really, uh, you know, to talk to, if you you really want to get in the weeds, you need to get Mike Irvin uh, on the program. Mike Irvin is our public lands uh, administrator, doing an amazing job. Um, Mike is in charge of of that program. Now, of course, you could also talk to any of our wildlife management supervisors. Um, There are five districts in the state, as you well know, and and each of those wildlife management districts has a wildlife management supervisor that that guides um, the the habitat management on each of these properties, um, whether it's cutting timber or or, uh, getting farming contracts in place, whether it's grazing contracts, um, those kinds of things. Our guys do a ton of stuff. Um, and I, unfortunately, um, that's just outside of my area of expertise and, and I'm going to have to take a pass on that. Otherwise I'll, I'll probably get myself in trouble and embarrass myself. No, no worries. So we'll,
3: we'll, we'll, let's, let's, <laughs> let's touch on something that I, that, uh, that I, I, have questions about just because I think there's a, um, people hear this term and I don't think they, they fully grasp, um, you know, the impact the potential impact CWD yeah so let's let's dive let's dive into that give us what does cwd stand for let's start there most people know but let's 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 talk about that a little bit and, and the potential impacts
0: yeah yeah so um i was i was talking to a um, it's chronic waste disease cwd um as as most folks know it as um i was on the phone this morning before we talked uh with a faculty member at osu and a, and a grad student um, talking about she's looking um, exploring if you will shopping around for, for graduate uh, projects and CWD um, uh, was something that interests her um, and um, I was telling her that that most of uh, I embarrassed embarrassed myself the other day with with some of my colleagues because I, I have been so consumed with um, with CWD and, and other other health and deer disease related issues that that I've forgotten what what um, what one of our data sheets look like <laughs> so uh it's, it's 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 so thankfully thankfully we have a we have a deer biologist a wonderful deer biologist i might add clint mccoy who's who's really doing most of that stuff in fact um we we have to code our time to various projects and uh, most all of my time really um with the exception of a few hours a week is coded to our disease project uh, because cwd is now um, rather it's it's all consuming um especially since we've, we've now got it in, in our wild deer herd. So just a, quick, just a quick summary of the history of CWD in Ohio, fall of 2014, um, it made its appearance on the stage uh, here in Ohio in a captive uh, shooting preserve, shooting preserve, I should say, um, in East Central Ohio in Holmes County. And subsequent to that, uh, we've had three additional facilities that, uh, that were positive, um, all of which were uh, uh, captive breeding facilities. Um, They were all depopulated, um, and um, and a couple of them had a few additional positives. One uh, had significant had a significant number. I think seven or nine percent of the deer at depop were also positive. So that was uh, things got kind of quiet until two thousand and summer two thousand nineteen, I believe, um, was our most recent. um, And and COVID has kind of messed up my years, um, but I think it was summer two thousand nineteen. Um, no, actually, it was the summer two thousand twenty uh, because I know I was wearing a mask when I went to the meeting, so I know it was summer two thousand twenty. Uh, we had a we had a, um, a positive facility in Wayne County, and then um, and then fall uh, of a uh, fall of twenty. Uh, of course, we uh, we landed uh, our first wild and, and certainly nothing to write home about, but our first wild case of our first wild deer, uh, CWD in Wyandotte County. It was a hunter harvested buck um, that was killed at the end of October um we were in a fortunate position because of the timing uh, of that uh, that confirmation we still had it was confirmed on december 7th and so we had while we had passed the uh, the gun season we had the bonus gun season we had the muzzleloader season and fortunately we had um a number of controlled hunts still to conduct on killer Plains uh, wildlife refuge so we were able to sample a, a bunch more deer. We got a bunch more deer on the ground, and, and unfortunately uh, ended up with another positive. In this case, it was a, a yearling doe. Um, then after the season ended, uh, we uh, we decided that we were going to uh, try our hands at, at a targeted removal on, on the refuge and the wildlife area and adjacent, uh, area, adjacent property uh, immediately associated with those two. Um, and we ended up removing 72 additional deer, and those deer uh, we had all non-detects. So we were we were pleased by that, but but you know we're really just holding our breath because that yearling doe um, tells us that um, the disease is 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 somewhere, um, and we're 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 going to set out to find it. Now that mature buck, um, having that mature buck being positive, and knowing uh, what we know now that uh, talking to the hunter that harvested that deer. Um, it's our understanding that there just recently, before it was harvested, just recently showed up on trail cameras. So it it traveled. It was basically a, a non-resident, if you will, non-resident buck, not, and I don't mean necessarily out of the state, but certainly out of the county. But when once the uh, yearling doe was was found, you know that tells us that it's rooted there. You know she was born there. She was, you know she spent her first year and a half there. So it's it, if she's positive, you know perhaps she's the only other one and got it from that mature buck. But but the reality is it's somewhere out there, and our job now is after we establish that uh, disease surveillance area uh, there in Wyandot, Hardin, and Marion counties, uh, which will exist, I suspect indefinitely, but at least three years, um, we're going to hopefully collect somewhere between six and seven hundred samples this fall, um, both through voluntary and mandatory testing, and and that should give us an idea uh, where uh, you know where CWD is anchored in in that population, and then of course. Um, hope to with with aggressive uh harvest regulations and targeted removals um, do our best to surgically remove um, remove those deer that are positive once we figure out where the you know where the disease is, is is basically rooted it's not to say that's the only place in the state but that's of course all that we know right now yeah i know mike it's a
1: massive 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 topic we could talk to you probably for another couple more hours but
0: how do how does somebody know if their deer has CWD? Can you tell when you after you shoot it? No, that's no, that's absolutely unfortunately impossible. Um, even if it even if it looks, um, if it looks sick or was behaving abnormally, unfortunately, that doesn't guarantee anything either. I was just going over a presentation the other day and, and covering the, the multitude of, of diseases and disease states that that can that can lead to the same set of classic CWD symptoms. You know, uh, incoordination, lack of, of fear of humans um, and, and emaciated, you know, poor body condition. So we've got a suite of things that, that can cause that. So, so that, you know, that of course, uh, means that there's no way of knowing just by looking at a deer. Um, and unfortunately it's, it's because of the testing assays that are available. It's going to be a couple of weeks at best. If you have your deer tested before you even know, which creates challenges. I was talking to uh, someone this morning, uh, that runs the, um, uh, the transfer station, uh, there in Defiant, or, um, I'm sorry, Hardin County. And, um, you know, they said they, they made this recommendation that, you know, why don't, you know, it's probably best that a hunter has his deer tested, uh, immediately after he has it harvested. And then the processor could set those deer aside. And I said, well, stop right there, timeout. Uh, that's not an option yet. Um, because it's, it's generally, if we're doing, um, if we're on top of our game, we might be able to get you test results in three weeks. And of course that that's unfortunate because, um, you know, you've already paid to process the deer and the deer carcasses has probably been moved around and, and so on and so forth. So unfortunately, um, testing is the only way to know. Post-mortem testing um, is, is really the only way to know for sure if your deer is positive for CWD.
1: And I mean, in, in the world that we're in now, we're, we all understand what quarantine is. So you just take your deer after you shoot it and put it in quarantine, right? Um, yeah. That's a joke. You, you keep, probably can't yeah. really do that. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> how does this spread? Oh, well... Let me count the ways i might actually have to take my shoe off to get uh, to get enough to to get enough um uh number of digits to count um but 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 truthfully guys the reality is you know if you think about your worst nightmare cwd is is it um on steroids to be quite honest um and i know that's highly unscientific but everything that could possibly uh be challenging about a disease um is embodied by cwd um it can spread um you know through animal-to-animal animal contact, of course. It can spread through, uh, possibly through feed. It can, it can move from Kansas to Ohio, uh, you know, on, on, the, uh, on the back of a truck, um, uh, whether it, it, you know, and on, and on the back of that truck might be a, might be a bale of hay, or it might be a, a muddy boot, or it might be, you know, some of these are extreme, and, and the level, what we don't know, of course, is the level of prions that it takes, you know, to infect deer and, and, and how likely is it that, you know, that the prions that might be wrapped up in, you know, you bail you, you, you a, a round bale in, in North Dakota, for instance, and it's got, you know, it's got a deer carcass or parts of a remaining deer carcass in it. You know, those prions are almost indestructible. Um, so you can move that around, you know, the landscape, any number of, any number of ways. Um, and, and also by, um, you know, by scavengers. I mean, uh, we know that, it, that prions safely, and effectively pass through the guts of, of a number of different uh, scavengers so you've got a crow or you've got a fox or you've got a coyote um, um, and of course live deer I mean it, you know you can move obviously it makes sense uh, uh, that you can move the the disease around you got a positive ear that you're moving from a facility to facility or in the case of agencies that you know that may be translocating elk uh, as part of a relocation program you know you just there's no 100% uh, uh, efficient way of testing a live animal. And, and so um, there's just, you, as I said, um, there are just a, a, a myriad of ways that the disease can move across the landscape. Um, you know, just, just wish, we wish that, you know, that, that wasn't the case. But unfortunately, um, that, is, that is the situation that we're dealing with, live deer, dead deer, Fomites, um, you name it, um, those, those prions are, are moving. And again, there's so much that we don't know about it. You know, we just, we simply do not know, uh, and we don't have assays that we can test soil. I mean, they, they can, they can be done, it can be done in a lab, but there's, but there's no efficient means of doing that, um, if, you know, for the average consumer uh, to purchase those kinds of things. So, so it's, a, it's a challenge. Um, and then of course you add to that, the fact that, you know, the incubation period uh, could be 18 months or more uh, before the deer starts showing, you know, clinical signs of disease, and all that while it's shedding prions in the urine and its urine and feces in blood in saliva, uh, we know there's vertical transmission. You know, does can can move it to their fawns. Um, so it's a it's a challenge. Um, it, it, it's 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 definitely a challenge.
3: So last last question. <laughs> That's um, let's end let's end on a good note. Hopefully, o- overall yeah. next decade. Are we looking good for deer hunters in the state of Ohio? In return, in, no, no. in regards to just like the overall health of the, of the population. I mean, are we, are we starting to trend in the right direction? You think? No.
0: Nah. So if you want me to be told, if we're being totally honest, totally yeah, honest, yeah, if we're totally honest, there's, there's, there's probably more challenges than there are, 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 um, um, Pluses on the horizon, and we've talked, we've touched on a, on a number of those already. Yeah. You know, we just, we we have got urban deer to deal with. Um, we we haven't even, while we haven't talked about one of the most significant issues um, facing. Um, we can't manage deer populations without deer hunters, and we have not talked at all about what's going on with deer hunter numbers, not only in Ohio. So so it's, we can take comfort in, in knowing that we're not alone, but you know, declining hunter numbers, just just. Uh, staggering the the declines that we're seeing there for, for a variety of reasons uh, too many to list and we don't know how they all operate um, so we've got declining hunter numbers you know we've got we got CWD to deal with um, we, you know we don't know what other diseases may show up and, and, and give us grief you know we're, we're going to do some SARS cov 2 surveillance and cooperation with the folks at, at OSU and uh, USDA wildlife services um, so so the 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 um, the agency, I'm proud to say, the agency is is, is taking steps to to work on um, the, the you know the, the ever important re- recruitment issue. You know, getting folks whether it's whether it's young adults, whether it's new kids that are that are unfamiliar with hunting, that aren't coming from hunting families, whether it's re reactivating, reengaging, like we saw this past year uh, with the COVID bump. You know, we saw a, an increase in deer permit sales that we haven't seen in over a decade. Um, and so we are reengaging some of these hunters that, that, uh, you know, had had stepped to the sidelines. So, you know, there's, we're, we're, we're doing things, we've got staff, we've got marketing folks hired, we've got our business operations center is, is fully staffed, we're, you know, our call center is, has got good numbers of folks, you know, we've, we've got the people in places, our law enforcement section is strong. Um, and I, and I think our, our leadership recognizes some of these significant challenges and, and they're taking, you know, steps in the right direction to try and, and slow things. But, but the reality is, um, uh, you know, there's, there, there's going to be some uphill, there's going to be some uphill climbs. Um, that, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you for your
3: time. Thank you for everything that you do.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have it, to we're gonna have to get you back on because I think there's about a million and a half more questions. That yeah, we all go. this did was create more oh. questions for
3: me, and they're good <laughs> questions. And I, you know, I hope that uh, that you'll be a, a a friend of our show. And oh my and gosh, uh,
0: yeah, if you haven't noticed. I would love to talk. Um, this is great. Too much. Yeah, there's. Yeah. I mean, we you know we really need to get down in a lot of rabbit holes. And, and you yeah, know, I, this this started. I, I think this could be a great segue into and just into a, a slew of of topics that really need an hour of their own time really to talk about, you know, what's going on specifically with CWD and, and what's the future look like. And, yeah. you know, what are we going to do if we find it here and there? And, and um, you know, so, yeah, I, I'd love to, you know, myself like to get Clint back on you know, on the show with us. You know, he can talk about things that he's more comfortable with. Um, and then I've, as I said, I've had to step away from, uh, he's doing some great things with our public land surveys, some cameras, that, that um, the, the camera study that he's involved with um, has some neat stuff to share that, that just, you know, I can't do all of that stuff anymore. So it'd be great to have, have him on as well. And, and if you really want to talk about habitat management, we've got, you know, we've got some great folks in the division of wildlife that, that can talk to you about that as well, but by all means, don't be bashful about calling. Um, I'll make time for you. Um, and, and we'll get back on here and talk, talk deer and deer hunting and deer management. Outstanding Mike, Appreciate. thanks for your time. Thanks Mike. Yep. See you guys.